It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, maybe it will be all right. Welcome in. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you are having a glorious Monday. Thank you so much for making A to Z and Locked On Sports Atlanta part of your everyday listen. A lot to get to here on the show. We have some Atlanta Falcons news to get to. Plus, I want to break down the Kentucky Derby and looking forward to some of the NFL's rookie player props coming up for the end of the show. Again, follow us on Twitter at LockedOnATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Send me some feedback. Tells me what you love about the show, what you hate about the show. Just want to interact with you guys and make sure you keep uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up, likes, and subscribes all over the place. We certainly appreciate all the love and support out there for Lockdown Sports Atlanta and A to Z. All right. I sat here on Friday, and I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. Did I not call... Ronald Acuna's first home run on Friday. Said it was going to happen. Said it was the 74 unis. Called it. Exactly happened. I'm not going to get any credit for it, but that's okay. I'm here to rub it in everybody's face that's listening and watching to this show. So, uh, yeah, there we go. I kid, but in all seriousness, it's great to see Ronald Acuna back. It's great to see him starting to generate some offense. It's great to see that when he is right and hitting the ball, how much different this team looks. You know, and even though they lost the game on Friday night, what I thought was so impressive about the series, and by the way, Acuna homers again on Saturday in the Braves win, um, and Max Fried pitches a gem, and then the bats roll on Sunday. Uh, Charlie Morton looked like the Charlie Morton we thought he was going to be, and they get a series win over the Brewers. And, you know, this was something that I looked at and I said, you know, this stretch of games that they had coming up, you know, was super important to them, how they could get above 500. If they had taken two of three from Milwaukee, they sweep Boston in two and take two of three from San Diego. Um, You know, this is a stretch here where they can get above 500 and start to feel good about themselves again. But all of this too, more importantly, again, goes back to Ronald Acuna and what he feels like. Because when he is right and he is going along well, everything is going along well for the Braves. He is just the spark plug of the engine. He's the locomotive that pulls the train. Whatever analogy you want to use, whatever cliche you want to use, Ronald Acuna is everything to this team. And when he is right, everybody else is better for it. Uh, He's a great table setter at the top of the lineup. Matt Olson's going to benefit from it, as will Ozuna and, and Riley and everybody else. So it was great to see them start to look like the old Braves uh, like they did last year, and the lineup like they did last year. It was great to see Charlie Morton look like himself. Reassuring to see Max Fried put together a good start. Now, here's the rub, right? You're going to get a day off today on Monday, and you're going to start a quick two-game series with Boston right here at Truist. You kind of have to sweep this short two-game series against Boston, and I'll tell you why. Because Boston is not a good offensive baseball team. Like, this is not a team right now that you should struggle with. They are 28th in the league in runs scored per game. They have lost five in a row. Uh, They just got swept by the Chicago White Sox in a series where they scored a combined five runs. This is not the time 
to let the Red Sox come back to life, right? It, it's just not. This is a, a series that they have got to just step on the throats of the Red Sox, get an early lead, and go out there and just win two quick games against a team that is very mediocre, right? And you get your, you get your best starter to this point in the year in Kyle Wright going in the first game. And then the Ian Anderson thing is, you know, really perplexing to me because he was so good at home last year uh, and, and so much worse on the road. And this year it's been flipped. His two starts at home, he's been terrible. And on the road, he's been really solid. So uh, we need a good start from both of these guys. And then you get back to Freed and Morton in the series against San Diego. And you get two off days this week on Monday and on Thursday. This is a prime spot right here for them to get right. You know, they're currently two games below 500. They can get to 500 and sweep the Boston Red Sox in a two-game series. And then you just got to take two out of three against San Diego. And guess what? You're back out on the road again, and you're above 500. So this sets up exactly the way I said it was going to, by taking two out of three from Milwaukee. It was really, really important that they did. And uh, I, I, I feel good about where they are. The starting pitching is starting to come around. Yes, there are some questions in the bullpen about Tyler Matzik, and they'll have time to get that worked out. And, and the good thing here is that, you know, if you're scoring runs and you have big leads, guys like Tyler Matzik can get right because they can come in games in very low leverage situations, not high leverage situations, where you have to get outs and you have to be perfect and you have to, you know, make perfect pitches against really good hitters to help your team win ball games. So the Braves for the first series this, this year looked like the team that we thought they were going to be all year long. Can they carry it over? Can they move it forward into the next series? That is something that you're really going to have to look at with this team. That's something that you're really going to have to uh, wonder if they are at that point where they're just starting to take that next step forward. Is it all in Acuna? Yes and no. I mean, he will make things a lot easier when he's going good. Trust me. Runs will come in bunches when he is going good. Uh, and, and it's so important for them to get to that spot where runs come in bunches for this team. You know, they, they're they're getting to a point now where, you know, you're starting to look at their run differential uh, as a measure of where the teams are, uh, who is playing good baseball and who isn't. You know, and the Braves, finally, their run differential down to minus three, uh, and they're six games out from behind the Mets. They get to 16 and 16 and pick up another game. All the panic that you guys had uh, a, a week or two ago will be out the window. And Dave O'Brien, who I respect the hell out of, he's one of the best beat writers in the country and has covered this team forever, sent out a tweet over the weekend talking about how um, when they were 12 and 16, when they had lost the first game of the series to the Brewers, uh, he noted that last year they were the exact same record after 28 games at 12 and 16. The big difference was they were seven and a half games behind the Mets this year and two and a half games out of first place last year. And that's, you know, again, that's the panic button being pushed. Relax. Relax. You know, the, the, the Mets are not going to continue to play 700 baseball. They're not going to continue to play 600, 666 baseball where they are right now. They'll come back to earth a little bit. Just got to chip away about it. You can't worry about games behind right now in, in the second week of May. That's just It's ludicrous, guys. You can't put yourself in that mindset. You're putting the mindset right now, just get me to 500. We'll worry about the other stuff later. Get to 500 right now and get yourself some distance over 500. Start winning more series than you're losing and things are going to start to self-correct. And that's really where you have to focus and where this team should be.
So good to see. Day off today. Go take two from the Red Sox on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then focus on the Padres coming in here over the weekend. All right, coming up next, uh, turn our attention to the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm curious as to rookie minicamp starting this week, who are the players we're going to look at, and what kind of team do they want to be? I think we'll see a lot of signs coming up. I'll discuss that next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube. And wherever you get your podcast, make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back to A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube. And wherever you get your podcast, make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. I am Mark Zeno. Follow me on Twitter at Mark Zeno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Of course, follow our entire station at Locked On ATL. You'll see all and hear all the great shows with A to Z, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Chanitra Batiste. Of course, Grant McCauley has our Braves postcast, along with Locked On Falcons with Aaron Freeman, Locked On Hawks with Brad Rowland. The entire Locked On Sports Atlantic studio cast here, man. It's just a it's a great lineup. I hope you guys check out all the shows here, and we appreciate all the support. We're building something really special. This has been a lot of fun, and we're glad that you guys are along for the ride. So share that you listen and let people know where you can find us and certainly share all the links that you guys see on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, whatever it may be. Uh, keep directing people to Locked On Sports Atlanta for some great Atlanta sports content, and we appreciate you guys doing so. I'm going to get to the Kentucky Derby. I don't know how much of a horse racing fan you guys are, but if you're not, I'm going to break down this race for you so you can understand what happened and why this long shot that won was just so dramatic and so impressive because of so many different things that had gone on. So uh, we'll, we'll do a little bit of that. I'm a huge horse racing aficionado. So I've been so my entire, my entire life. I grew up down the, the block from Belmont Park as a kid. Uh, and so I've been around horse racing my entire life, even when I was a kid. Uh, and I've always had a love for it and an appreciation for it. So the Derby, you know, we'll get the Preakness here uh, coming up in another week or two weeks now. And uh, then you'll get the Belmont coming up in the first weekend in June. So uh, a, a little bit more on that coming up here in just a bit but falcons rookie mini camp starting this coming weekend friday saturday sunday and we'll get our first look at some of uh the players and the names that we had just you know brought here obviously eyes are going to be on drake london eyes are going to be on desmond ritter right everyone's going to follow those two guys around and it doesn't matter that ritter was a third round pick uh and it's one of those deals where uh it's a quarterback and it's a first round pick so they're going to get a ton of attention my eyes are going to go towards one player in particular, uh, and that is Troy Anderson, the linebacker from Montana State. Now, uh, I didn't watch any Montana State football. I'm not even going to sit here and lie to you and tell you I did, um, but I am going to sit here and tell you that I am curious to see how they want to use this kid, how they want to use this young man, what they want to do with uh, him and from a position standpoint. Where does he play in relation to Deion Jones? Where does he play in relation to, you know, um, uh, what Foyer did last year for this team? So there's a, there's a lot to look at. My big thing with Troy Anderson, um, as he was taken um, with the pick that the Falcons had in the second round, um, you start to look at some of the other names that they passed up on. Right. And this is honestly what we're going to remember years down the road. When the Falcons had Troy Anderson, there were still a lot of names out there that a lot of people knew and a lot of people were familiar with. And those were names that a lot of people wanted the Falcons to take. 
fans want him to take. And I'm not saying you should do what fans want you to do. That That's not the issue. But when you look at, you know, names that were available for them, whether it's N'Kobe Dean, who was obviously very popular. Um, you know, you look at other other names that were out there from players who they could have taken um, to, to help their team, whether it's like a running back like Brian Robinson Jr., who was available, obviously a big running back in college. Um, you start to look at guys who played in other major conferences. Um, you know, Christian Harris was there from Alabama. He's another inside linebacker. Uh, you start to look at all of these guys that were available and were on the board at the time, and the Falcons passed on him in favor of Troy Anderson. Those are ultimately going to be the things, if those guys blow up, you're going to grade Troy Anderson against if he doesn't work out. And that's why I'm curious to see what they saw so much in Troy Anderson that he is going to be such a pivotal part of this defense that they expended a second-round pick on him and made him essentially one of the top you know, 60 players in this draft. Like that is that's that's an expensive piece of draft capital um, that the Falcons used on a guy that theoretically they could have used with other players um, and and other guys who may have had a bigger impact. And that's generally what we do with the draft, right? We look at guys who draft. Oh, he was available. I know that's sort of revisionist history, but unfortunately, that's kind of just the way the way it goes. That's how front offices, in retrospect, in hindsight, being twenty twenty, get graded. Uh, and they get graded basically on whoever was left on the board behind him. Why, we, why we're always reminded about Tom Brady being a sixth-round pick and Russell Wilson being a third-round pick because, well, guess what? A lot of teams pass on those dudes a lot of times. And if the Kobe Dean ends up being a huge star, people in this state are never going to let the Falcons let it down. If he ends up having a massive career, they'll never let him let it down because he was there and available, and the Falcons walked away from him in favor of a kid from Montana State. Right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, that's kind of just the way this thing is going to be judged. So I'm more more curious to see him than anybody else and how they're going to put him in this defense. Obviously, I want to see how they're going to use Drake London uh, and what he's going to be able to do. Uh, and I'll bring it back to gambling for a minute, as I often do. You guys know that. But uh, Drake London's receiving yards prop and touchdown prop, I caught wind of over the weekend. Uh, and Drake London's receiving yards this year is over under 764 and a half. And his touchdowns are over or under four and a half. I would like to think that he can get over that 764, but I just don't know. In reality, um, you have to wonder how he's going to be used. And moreover, how Kyle Pitts is going to be intertwined with him. I mean, is Kyle Pitts going to be lining up split out like we people have expected? I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not saying he should or he shouldn't. You know, I'm not smart enough one way or another to dissect which is a better offensive way to use him, at least not at this point in time, because I haven't seen a sample set with them on the field at the same time. Nobody has. So I know the coaches have an idea of what they want to do, but I'm not smart enough to figure out right now which is the better way to go. Um, and, you know, when you have these two guys as targets, you got to get them the ball as often as you can. So I don't know how I feel about him going over 760 and at four and a half yards on the year, especially if he's not 100% healthy, you know, he may have injuries, whatever. I really do like going over his touchdowns of four and a half because that's sort of what I've seen Arthur Smith do before with big bodied wide receivers. Jump balls in the end zone to AJ Brown. He did that routinely, routinely, you know, fades in the corner of the end zone to AJ Brown where he could just outsize his defender. Uh, and I expect to see that a lot. I don't know if he'll have 800 yards receiving. 
but I feel like five touchdowns is in in the cards for Drake London. So I would do that. Um, and it's juiced heavily to the over. Uh, if you're if you follow that sort of thing, um, you're paying a dollar forty on a dollar wager uh, to to take the over. So it's a little bit rich for my blood, and I understand why because I think that's the way Drake London is going to be used in this offense. And then of course we're all curious to see how much Desmond Ritter is used, how much time he gets with the ones, and if this really is going to be an open competition heading into training camp. So we'll start to find all that out coming up here uh, this weekend when they open rookie mini camp. All right, coming up next, the Kentucky Derby, the long shot of all long shots, and why I would have rather had a ticket to the Kentucky Derby than hit lotto. I'll explain that coming up next. It's A to Z right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Happy Monday to everybody. Hope you had a great, wonderful weekend. I hope everybody had a wonderful Mother's Day. To all the moms out there, thank you so much for all that you do. We couldn't do it without you. And we know the most important title that you guys own is mom. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you to my mother and uh, and my wife for all that they have done for me. Uh, mom, Amanda, you guys are the best. Love you. And certainly appreciate everything that you guys have done. All right. Um, I want to spend some time here on the Kentucky Derby. And if you're not a fan of horse racing and you don't care, please listen. Like, because this gets interesting. It really does. I, I know that not everybody loves horse racing, but everybody loves the Triple Crown races. And they get into them and they watch them and they wager on them and they're fun. But I want to sort of break down the equivalent of what happened in that race so that people can understand it uh, and, and really get an appreciation for this long shot, Rich Strike, that came out of nowhere to win the Kentucky Derby. So Epicenter was the favorite, and Zandon was the second or third favorite uh, at post time in this race. Epicenter was the horse that I bet on. Epicenter was the one that I had to take it on to win, and uh, I thought I was sitting pretty at the top of the stretch. Uh, and so if you know anything about horse racing, as they come out of that final turn, it isn't uncommon for jockeys for their, to take their horses wide and not stay close to the rail. Generally, staying close to the rail means you have a shorter distance to run, right? It's actually just like a regular track that you would run on that you see in the Olympics, why they have the outside lane starting a little bit further ahead of the inside because they're physically running a wider distance. So. Um, it's, it's very common for them to want to stay on the rail, but as they get into the turn and they know it's a final straightaway, they can go wide and get the horse away from other horses and allow it to run free and not be next to anybody uh, and take off. And so that's what Epicenter did. And then jockey Joel Rosario on top of Epicenter, when he got to the top of the stretch, gave the horse a little nudge and he jumped out to a two-length lead over a horse to its left. I don't know which one it was. I'd have to go back and double check, but I know Zandon was on its right. And the horse to the left had dropped so far back that he was clearly out of the picture and was not a contender in the race anymore. But Zandon was about a half length behind, three quarters of a length behind, and charging on the outside. Now, when he opens up that two-length lead, Rich Strike, the horse that wins the race, is literally sitting in 11th place. There are 10 horses in front of him at the top of the stretch that he's got to make up in the final four furlongs, which is an eighth of a mile. Um... You know, and basically the last half mile is what he's got to make up, right? Uh, and he's in 11th place. He makes an initial burst, okay? And what happens is as they come out of the turn, everybody goes wide. And so what happens is the rail opens up. And 
Rich Strike runs right for it. And then there was another horse, and I think it was the one that was fading back, that tried to stay close to the rail, that caused Rich Strike to pause for a second and have to go around him. And when this horse and this jockey paused, it hit another gear to get out of it. Now, Gerard Rosario, the, the jockey on Epicenter, kept looking back into his right, back into his right, kind of like the Zapruder film, but different. <laughs> you know, looking back to his right because that's where Zandon was, and he wanted to see how close the horse was and how much more he needed to give Epicenter to see if it needed to push harder to get to the finish line and win the race. What he never did was look to his left where Rich Strike was coming up fast. And if you ask me, I think Epicenter didn't lose the race. Joel Rosario lost the race because it's the jockey's job to look around and know where everybody is on the track and know where the other most competitive horses on the track are. And they get, they get, they're talked to about this before the race. Look out for this horse on the rail. Look out for this horse. He's got the speed. This horse will push down the stretch. They know all this stuff. They study film on it all. Like they, they don't just go out there and jump on a horse and ride, guys. There's, there's a lot that goes into this. So Rosario's job is to know where every other horse is at that point in time and who's going to challenge and where they're coming from. And he's got to know that if he's driving in the center of the track and he's looking to his right for one guy, he needs to check to his left to see what is going on closer to the rail where most horses and most jockeys generally like to run because it is a shorter distance. He never does that. Never sees Rich Strike, blows right by him, and wins the thing. Now, in fairness to Joel Rosario, he probably never thought to look to his left and never thought of Rich Strike because he was never a horse he needed to be concerned about. Period. It's just not anything you could have predicted. It's not anything that anybody would have even thought of saying. You know, it, it's, it, it, it's similar to like, in the NFL, if they were to put a punter out at wide receiver, it's like, I'm not even going to go look over there. There's no reason for me to look over there. This guy isn't going to do anything. It's when a quarterback, like, you know, lines up all the way out when they run the Wildcat. Oh, just leave him there. He, that, there's nothing going to happen with that guy over there. So there was no reason for him to assume that anybody was coming up on his left, given the distance he had to the finish line and what other horses were in the field. That's what made this thing so phenomenal so unpredictable was simply just that rich strike was never supposed to be there at all period now if you're into the gambling sort of thing uh and, and i'm not sure if you guys know the term so i'll i'll, I'll lay them out for the exacta is the finish of the one the first horse and the second horse in the race you know one two order the trifecta obviously is one two three the superfecta is in order one two three four for a two dollar exacta bet so all you had to do is put down $2 and pick 21 and three, 21 to win three to finish second. Those are the horses. Rich Dyke was 21, three was epicenter. If you put down $2 and you walk back and said, give me that ticket. And it said 21 and three. When you walk back to the window, they handed you $4,100 in cash. That's called a good payout. It's called a really good payout. If you had the trifecta of rich strike epicenter and Zandon on a $1 wager, one dollar wager. All you had to do is put one down, one one U.S. dollar down on that wager. They would have handed you back fourteen thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars for one buck. You ready for this? And this is where it gets really fun. If you put a one dollar wager down on the superfecta, meaning you figured out the all four, the first four horses all in a row, and you put them down, 
and you walk back to the ticket with walk back to the window with that ticket for a one dollar investment, you got paid three hundred and twenty one thousand five hundred dollars on a one dollar investment. That's how long of a long shot this was. So, um, to put that in context, you know, I hope that really just you know makes it clear for everybody. And I'll say this much, and I genuinely mean it. I don't care what the lotto jackpot is. It could be fifty million dollars. It could be a hundred million dollars. I'd rather hit that superfecta. I would be so much more proud of myself if I hit that superfecta than hitting a lotto. Like, lotto's just luck, right? And you could say, well, the horse racing is luck. Yeah, it is, but still, like, I'd rather guess the four horses right on a one dollar ticket than hit lotto. That's just me, because the feeling of winning. And knowing that you did it right is so much better. It really is. So that's my horse racing spiel. I'm done. I hope you guys sat through that with me and certainly enjoyed it. If you ever want to talk horse racing, please hit me up on Twitter at Mark Zeno. Of course, hit us up on Locked On Sports Atlanta at Locked On ATL. Thank you guys so much for making A to Z your first listen every day. Make your next listen. Hitting hard with John Chuckery, the ATL Sports Talker, giving you all the strongest sports opinions right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. A to Z. Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, and the rest of our shows are absolutely outstanding. Thank you guys so much for being part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Follow us on YouTube. Give us a like and subscribe as well. And we'll be back tomorrow for another edition of A to Z. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.